Well, hey, Hub City, it's good to be with you today, and we are continuing our David series, looking at the trials and triumphs of his life, and today I want to start with a question. Very simple, but not always a fun one to answer. What offends you? See, see what I mean? What offends you? Not a, not a hard question to answer, but not a fun question to answer. What bothers you? It doesn't just irritate you or get you a little angry, but it almost feels personal when it happens. What gets under your skin to the point where you take offense to it? You know, it, it could be a variety of different things, and we get offended on um, at different times, unexpectedly. We live in a time where there's almost this hyper sense of offense and, and people being offended over the smallest of things. But for you, what is that? Is it when people are condescending and talking down to you? Is it when somebody's late because you honor time so much? Is it, you know, feeling overlooked in your skills or underappreciated, underappreciated or overlooked of, I had something to offer in that situation, but nobody asked me? Or is it when you feel uh, disconnected or you feel alone and, and that kind of offends you like, hey, where is everybody? Is it when somebody demeans something valuable to you? You hold it in such high regard and to have people badmouth it and, and demean it, you take offense to that because it's so valuable and, and important to you. How about this one? How about when people tell you what to do? How many of you love that? It's just, yeah, that just brightens my day when somebody tells me what to do. Absolutely not, right? That is something that bothers us. But here's the second question to that. Why? Why does that bother you? What about that circumstance or that situation got under your skin and, and, and offended you to that point? Today, we're going to look at a story from David. And, and David has a lot of high points in his story. But this is a moment we're going to look at in 1 Samuel 25, where David gets offended over something really small. And he makes a small deal into a big deal. And David got offended. That was a part of his own humanity. He wasn't perfect. And in this moment, in, in chapter 25, David is with 600 of his other men that he's leading, and they're out in the wilderness. And as a part of being in the wilderness, they were protecting some sheep and some shepherds that were out in the wilderness grazing. And he sends some messengers to get some compensation for that kind of protection they were providing. Because as a custom of that time, when you were a shepherd and you had a ton of flocks spread out all over distant lands, there were robbers and people that wanted to cause harm. And, and so people would provide protection, but they did it for a price, kind of a mafia type thing. I'll protect you if you provide for me. You know, and so that's what David does. He sends some messengers to this guy. And this guy that we're going to meet in chapter 25 is called Nabal. And he's got this giant flock and, and thousands of sheep and goats. And it's at shearing time, which is a time of celebration and prosperity is wealthy beyond uh, what, you know, beyond his ears and, <laughs> and years. And, and David comes to him asking for some compensation that at that time would have been rightfully due to him. But this is Nabal's response. Let's look at it in 1 Samuel 25, verse 10. Nabal answered David's servants, who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my my bread and water and the meat that I slaughtered for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where. David's men returned, turned around and went back. And when they arrived, they reported every word. And David said to his men, put on your swords. So they put on their swords and David put on his. And about 400 men went up with David. Nabal's, or Nabal's response to David causes him to become offended. And the question is, why? 
right? The question from earlier. We're going to revisit that question a couple times, but why does this bother David? Well, Nabal is impugning his, his reputation, right? He says, who is David? Why, why is he a big deal? Why would I care about David, right? And David thinks he's a big deal. He thinks he's kind of important, and, and yet this commentary back at him shows him, ah, yeah, that, that's diminishing who I think that I am. So that offends him. Why else? Well, he was refused something he thought he deserved. Culturally of that time, it would have been normal for him to get that kind of compensation back. I protected your shepherds. I protected your flock from other people. Why on earth would you not pay me back? You know what? That's not right. It's kind of like a server in a restaurant not getting a tip at the end of a meal. They've served you and given you refills and given you that clean fork when you needed it for dessert and did all these things. And then at the very end, you write a big fat zero and say, see you later, God bless you. And you know what that does to a server? I used to be one. It infuriates you because you poured everything out to serve them well. And what do you get in response? Nothing. And culturally of that time, David was expecting gratuity and he didn't get it. And it makes him mad. And he's feeling hurt and he's frustrated and all of this. But as you look at this moment, David is on this death march now. He's like, put up your swords, men. We're going for it. And they put up their swords and there are 400 guys on this death march to take out Nabal and anyone associated with him. And we look at this moment in David's story and why is this bothering him? It wasn't just a cultural norm. It wasn't just you impugned his, his reputation. David had a lot on his plate. And I think that this is an example uh, of the problem not being really the problem. Nabal is a no-man shepherd. He's a nobody in the middle of nowhere, and yet David is going to strike him down for nothing just because he didn't get what he wanted. But when you zoom out for a moment and think about David's story, David's been on the run. He's aimless. He's wandering around the wilderness. He's dealing with physical terrain that is, is wearing on him and his men. He's hungry and getting a little hangry in this moment. But beyond that, in chapter 24, it precedes this, in 26, following this chapter, you're going to see that Saul has his life spared by David. David has been showing him mercy and grace to the man that wants to kill him. I would have to venture to guess that that is emotionally exhausting. To show grace and mercy to somebody that literally wants to kill you, I would imagine that that takes a lot out of you and drains your tank a little bit, right? What else has happened? At the beginning of 25, we hear that Samuel has passed away. Samuel's the chief priest and counselor. He's the guy that anointed David. This has to, to wreck him with grief and depression and sadness and mourning. All the while, David knows he's going to be king and he's waiting for that to happen. And when timelines don't come to pass in our time, how many of you get frustrated? So I think that this is indicative that Nabal is the easy target. And we do that. We take on easy targets. And the problem isn't really the problem. Your kids leaving their toys out wasn't really the problem. Your, your spouse not doing the dishes wasn't really the problem. But they were an easy and familiar target. Boom, I'm going to take them out. I'm going to pick up my sword and let's go to battle on this one, right? But if we pause and, and look back, there's so much more brewing below the surface, so much more that David needs to work out and deal with that's going on. This displaced anger has really set him on this course and he's taken a small deal and made it into a big deal. And this is something we teach our kids right now. As you've got five headstrong adults living in the same house and, and not being able to have the same routines as we used to, we're stepping on each other's toes. We're getting on each other's nerves. And there are times where we have to teach our kids, is this a small deal or is this a big deal, right? Big deal is you turn to your sibling and say, I hate you. I never want to be around you. I'm ready to move out. 
Like, that's a big deal. Those are some angry words, some hurtful words. You intentionally said that. That's a big deal. Not such a big deal, small deal is, she doesn't want to play Legos with me because she wants to color. Right? That's a small deal. You should not be taking offense to that just because your sister wants to color and doesn't want to play with you right now. And, and it's not just my kids that do this. We do this. We as adults, all of us do this. We take small things and make them big things, and that's what David has done. He's taken this small thing, made it a big thing, and now he's trying to solve the problem on his own. How many of us do that? We pick up our sword and go to battle on these things. We solve our problems with our own understanding from our own vantage point. We don't seek to understand everything that's going on, and we're just ready to solve this problem. Let's go. Let's fix this right now because this is wrong, and this bothers me. Let's remember, though, that David is not fighting some massive, large-scale, systemic course of evil or hatred or atrocities that have been happening. This man just didn't get what he wanted. He wanted to be compensated, and Nabal says no, and that sets him off. This is not being offended by something large, massive, macro-scale sort of atrocities. This is, we get upset about the littlest of things, and then we try to fix it ourselves, using our answers and our truths and our perspectives to try to convince other people that they will see the things through the same lens as us and thus fulfilling our own agendas. See, David is self-solving this problem. He didn't bring anyone else into the story. Not once in this passage do we see David then pull aside and say, hey, I've got 600 guys at my disposal. What do you guys think? Should we go slaughter this guy? Uh, I don't know. Is this unruly? Is this irrational? I don't know. Should I get over this? He doesn't pray about it at all. He doesn't seek the Lord's clarity and direction in this. He doesn't seek to say, well, what would God want me to do in this? How would he want me to change? And how would he want me to respond? No, he solves the problem himself. And we do the same thing with our kids, our spouse, our coworkers, our friends. We do it on social media all the time. Question for you, how's that working? In all honesty, how's it working to self-solve all your problems right now? The slightest offense, trying to pick up your sword and go to battle. How's that working for you? It doesn't usually end with the problem really being solved and fixed. And that's the case for David. But as the story continues, David's on this death march towards Nabal. And, and Nabal's wife, Abigail, intervenes. She hears of what's happened. She gathers her servants. She gathers this giant bounty of food and supplies, sends it to David and his men, and tries to cut them off before he gets to Nabal and does something he's going to regret. And in fact, in verse 23 of chapter 25, we see her response It says, Abigail saw David. She quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before him. Bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame blame be on me alone. Please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man, Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. Abigail interjects and says, hey, let me take responsibility. Let me take the blame on this. You got to ignore my husband, Nabal. He, he is a fool. That's what his name means, but he is a fool. He's being foolish right now. And, and you see this humility in her posture, in the way that she positions herself. She goes on in verse 28. Please forgive my servant's offense. For the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my master because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Again, Abigail is 
bringing this humility into it. You see her elevating David. You are my master. You're my king. You're my authority. And she's asking for forgiveness on David's behalf. You will be the king of Israel. She's declaring that. And as the king, you want purity in your leadership, right? Let no wrongdoing be found in you. And then in verse 30, she concludes her comments. She says, when the Lord has done for my master every good thing he promised concerning him and his appointed him leader over Israel, my master will not have on his conscience this staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. Abigail is telling David that you're going to be king and you don't want this cloud hanging over you. You don't want this blood on your hands. Don't do this. She speaks truth. She speaks a bit of correction in this moment. She's not afraid of that. David has this moment where he can take all of this in and he has a choice. Continue on the death march. Ignore Abigail. Go on. Or stop and listen and change trajectories. Verse 32, we see David's response. It says, David said to Abigail, praise be to God, the God of Israel who has sent you today to meet me. May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and for avenging myself with my own hands. David stops in his tracks. He hears what Abigail has to say and he changes. And this story is so important and so, so applicable because it is about David being teachable and moldable, and shapeable. And when we look at this story, that is huge. Because nothing else changes in the story. Like, Nabal doesn't change his ways. He's still a crusty old man. In fact, he dies at the end of the story. But not by David. Who's the one that changes? Abigail doesn't change. David changes. He changes from this seeking of revenge, and to right these wrongs, and to to go on the offensive because he's been offended. And instead, he's the one that experiences transformation. That's what we glean from David's story in this moment. And David sees Abigail as this catalyst for change. She she is a godsend to him. He even says that in verse 32. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet with me. Like, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God sending you. And there is something about her that grabs his attention. And it's not just her beauty, right? It's that, wow, he, I, I think what, he, what it is is he sees his God in the way that she's acting. Her words and her actions display the very Yahweh that he follows and worships. He sees humility. He sees honor. He sees grace. He sees mercy. He sees truth and correction. And he's seeing all of these things in the way that she's talking and the way that she's acting. And, and what he's seeing is not just this woman speaking to him. He's seeing God come through that. And it catches his attention. It opens his eyes. In moments of conflict, in moments of offense, you and I, we need Abigails. We need people that will intervene and mediate and be that third party to say, hey, stop. Stop for a moment. And let's see this differently. And as much as I wish I, you know, I, wish I could be somebody's Abigail, and today you might think, well, I'll be somebody's Abigail. Today is not about you and I being an Abigail to somebody else. The idea is that you and I are David. Nabal is 
the, the moments, the emails, the circumstances, the behaviors, the people in our lives that cause offense in us, that stir us and bother us in those ways, whether intended or unintended, there are enables all around us. And you and I are David, and Abigail is not you and I. I believe Abigail is Jesus. That Jesus is meant to be that third party, that third person in this moment of conflict, in this moment of irritation, in this moment of offense, and he brings clarity. He brings direction. He brings correction. He brings truth in that. And what better example, right? You and I would fail to be the Abigail, but Jesus, man, his teaching, his ministry, his life, his sacrifice all points to this idea of being able to embody the very character that you and I want to replicate. That's what Jesus does. Think about his ministry. He teaches them to turn the other cheek in the face of their enemies and mistreatment. How many of us need to hear that when we've taken offense? To go the extra mile. When they say, go one mile, we go two mile. When they want your sweatshirt, we give them our coat As in addition to that. His teaching elevated these ideas that Abigail is trying to communicate to David the same. When Jesus was betrayed and mocked and beaten, he didn't plead his case. He didn't turn up the volume. He didn't type in all caps. He didn't try to share his perspective and convince everybody of that. He stood there and oftentimes, especially in that moment, standing next to Pilate, what is he? He's silent. He's got a strength in that. He was taking on offense and didn't fight back in the way that you and I would have. He didn't grab the sword. In fact, when he's on the cross, gasping for his last breaths, one of his final breaths, what does he say? Forgive them, they know not what they do. That as he's gone and endured all of these things, that's what comes out, is grace and mercy, forgiveness. The very themes that Abigail is telling David, Jesus embodied that and he lived that and he promised that for us and he calls us to that. And he doesn't just call us to do that empty-handed or on our own strength. He sends us the Holy Spirit to live that out and embody that as well, right? The Holy Spirit is sent. Jesus promises that. In John chapter 14, the Holy Spirit is sent as our counselor to counsel us, to reveal truth to us to point us to the things that Jesus said and the things that Jesus did. The Holy Spirit is actively a part of our lives to do that, to do that very thing, to counsel us in those moments of conflict and rage, to, to be there to be a source of conviction when we're wrong, when we have brokenness and things behind us that we need to deal with, flaws and insecurities and fears and all of these things. The Holy Spirit points that out and says, hey, you need to deal with that, just like Abigail did to David. You don't want that hanging over you anymore. Let's deal with that. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit to be an active part of our life and that the characteristics of the Holy Spirit would come out, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, right? And then we kind of mutter the rest. Let's think about what the, the rest of those are. Some of those other phrases and words that are described to be the Holy Spirit, self-control. When you're offended, the Holy Spirit allows you the strength to exercise self-control, kindness, Goodness, gentleness, patience. We don't do these things on our own strength. It is the Spirit of God actively moving in our lives. In fact, when Jesus even teaches about confrontation and, and difficulty with people and conflict and being offended, what does he say? Bring those people in. Let's talk about these things. Let's pray about those things. Let's focus on this together. In Matthew 18, he talks about confrontation with other brothers and sisters and other believers. 
And one of the promises he gives us in Matthew 18, 20 is a verse that I'm sure many of you have heard before, but it's dealing with conflict. It's dealing with reconciliation. It's dealing with an Abigail showing up in a David and Nabal situation. In Matthew 18, 20, Jesus says this, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am with them. That Jesus is present in those situations. He is the Abigail that we need. And we have a choice. We can listen or we can ignore it. We can dismiss it. We can seek to solve the problem on our own. We can fight back. We can grab our sword and seek to change someone else. Or we can stop and begin to pay attention to what God is trying to do. Allow God to shape us. When I look at the story of Nabal and Abigail and David, it's teaching me that this isn't a, when I'm offended, it's not an opportunity to change someone else. It's an opportunity for Jesus to want to change me. When I am offended, it is not an opportunity for me to change someone else. It is an opportunity for Jesus to do a change in me. Often when I get offended, I want to change you. I want to change them. I want them to see it the way I see it. But in David's story, Nabal doesn't change. David changes. God wants to do a good work in us. Use these moments of being offended to be a trigger. A trigger not for retaliation or self-solving problems or reacting in these things, right? Or to change someone else to think the way you think. Use these moments of offense to be a trigger for conversation with you and Jesus. To say, Jesus, let's bring back to that question earlier, why does this bother me? That we don't just answer that question on our own. We answer that in the presence of Jesus in a time of prayer. Jesus, why does this bother me? Why does it bother me that I got that email this week? Why does it bother me that their behavior feels like I'm being rejected? Why does it bother me? Why does it offend me that someone is telling me how to pastor and do my job? Why does it bother me that somebody is telling me how to care for my spouse or raise my kids? Why does it bother me that my kids don't listen to me? All the things that offend us. Have we brought those things to Jesus and said, Jesus, bring some clarity. Bring some truth to that. I mean, you want, a, you want a glimpse into my world. One of the things that's offending me and bothering me right now is seeing on social media the, the social media attack, the almost passive and sometimes aggressive attack that is coming towards pastors right now. Pastors are being called sheep and uh, leaders of fear because we're trying to be in compliance with the guidelines being set out. And so people are attacking and they're saying, you're, you're a bunch of sheep. Your fear, where's your faith? And I, I, I read that. And, and it's really hard not to be offended because I know my intent is not to be led by fear. The way that we're leading is, this is Jesus' church. And I'm carrying that responsibility with faith and, and with stewardship and with open hands. I'm trying to honor Jesus the best that I know how. Those are things that really offend me right now. And, and instead of lashing out, instead of fighting back, instead of grabbing my sword and let's go to battle on it, I feel Jesus is calling me to say, Sean, let's talk about these. Why does that bother you so much? And when that happens, 
I allow Jesus the room to speak. I allow him to bring clarity and direction. I allow him to point out my flaws. I allow him to give me a greater sense of vision so I can see the things around me that need to be addressed and I can grow to be more like him. I don't have to be fearful or scared of the. Nobody really wants to be told that they're wrong, right? Nobody wants to be told that you've got fears and flaws and insecurities behind you that are guiding and driving this decision. Nobody wants to know that there's things that Jesus wants to work on and change in you. We want them to be the one that needs to change. I'm good. And we become fearful or resistant to that. But I would say embrace the opportunity to grow and be changed by Jesus. Don't be fearful of that because it will bring clarity in new ways. I saw an example of this, a fun example of this with my son this week. We, we have a pool in our backyard and he was been, he's been really nervous to get water in his eyes and be splashed in the face and uh, plugging his nose and closing his mouth and going underwater is just something like he is scared of, but he likes being in the pool, but just don't splash him, right? And so, I'm, you know, I'm, we're trying to teach him that it's okay and there's nothing to be scared of and he freaks out and all of these things. But this week, uh, April got him to, to wear goggles he put goggles on, and he did this. All of a sudden, he just, and he immersed his face in the water. He's looking around. He comes splashing up. This is awesome. I can see everything. And you see this little four-year-old just overjoyed in the pool, and he puts his face back in and looking around, and he can see feet moving of his sisters. He can see all the, the floaty toys, and he can, I can see everything. And it was almost this immediate change that began to happen. He wasn't scared of the water. He wasn't scared of getting water in his face anymore. Why? Because he began to see the things that he was once afraid of was no longer something to be daunting or fearful or scared about. When Jesus points out the things that you and I need to work on, we should not be resistant or scared of those things. Yeah, it's murky and it's unknown and who knows what's down there. But you know what? When we allow Jesus to do the heart work in us, to answer the questions of why that bothers us, and it brings to the surface, it brings clarity to the surface. He's the goggles for your soul, and you're able to see insecurity, flaws, fears, sin, anxieties. And you're able to deal with that properly with him. You're able to grow to be more like Jesus. able to bring more peace in that situation. It's able to help you grow to be more dependent upon God in all areas of our life. And just like David, we're able to fulfill the promises and purposes that God has for us without having these things looming over us any longer. Abigail called David out and he's able to move forward without having that in his ledger. I don't want those things hovering over me or behind me anymore. And it will also, here's the last thing, it prepares you for the next time. The next time you get offended, the next time an email comes or a call comes or behavior triggers something within you, you're more aware. And just like Mav said, you can begin to see everything and there's no need to be scared because we begin to see that every time I'm offended is an opportunity for Jesus to bring about a change in us, and we can grow to be more like him. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I pray right now that your, your truth would resonate within our hearts. It would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts 
to who you are and who you want us to be. Jesus, prepare us to be your people. Help us not to be easily offended in this time. Help us to be more patient, to be more merciful and gracious to people. Help us to take on your character, not by our own strength, but Holy Spirit, move through your church that we would embody your life and your teaching and your ministry in this world. We would live this out. And when we are offended, I pray that it's a moment for us to come into a deep, honest conversation with you, Jesus. Heal us, restore us, and give us life. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. For more information, find us at thehubcitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.